630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, thank you very much for tuning in tonight. Canada, another win at the Women's World Hockey Championship in Calgary. 5-0 tonight over Switzerland. Canada's 3-0, no surprise there. And top of the seventh, the Blue Jays trailing the White Sox 5-zip. You heard it in the uh, news, the OEG vaccination policy for the upcoming NHL season. A couple more Elks players with uh, COVID, uh, positive COVID tests. Game in Toronto postponed. It was supposed to be Thursday. We do not know when or even if it will be played. Commissioner Randy Ambrosi said they are working on rescheduling it. Uh, I do not believe it will be played before Labor Day, which means it uh, possibly will be shoehorned in at another point during the season, or the Elks could wind up forfeiting the game. That is uh, another definite possibility. So that is the lowdown there. Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL, also saying today in an interview with TSN's Dave Naylor that the uh, league is operating under the assumption that the federal government will ban unvaccinated people from flying, including on... um, on charter flights, which could obviously uh, greatly impair unvaccinated CFL players from uh, getting around the country to play games. So another, yet another story to follow. And again, like I said earlier, I'm sorry I got to bring you all that, but it could affect could affect the games you are watching and how you're watching them or, or who's playing in them along the way. But we'll, we'll keep you updated. Of course, the situation seems to change pretty much every day. Okay. You can always get in touch on the hotline, 780-496-0063. It's presented by Certain T, professional-grade building materials. We will go there now, and I am pleased to welcome back to Inside Sports a man who very briefly, but it was an important week in his career, he, he was very briefly a 630 Chet employee. Natea Jay is on the line. Natea, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, and those that was one of the best weeks of my life, hanging out with uh, Morley and Dave, uh, doing the great cup coverage. I tell you what, they showed me what the media life was really about, especially the the buffet tables, and that's what uh, <laughs> stuck me around. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> David Morley will love that you mentioned the buffet table. It 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 can be a perk in media life, though. I will admit that. We'll remind. So that was 2018. Uh, you were playing for the EEs at the time. Unfortunately, you guys didn't make it to the Grey Cup. So remind everybody, uh, what? Like, well, first of all, how, I can't even remember. How did that all come about, that you were the guy that we picked, or did you apply? Like, how, how did that happen where you kind of were hanging out with Morley and Dave for the week? You know what? I think I started in training camp when I started talking to Morley, and I was like, Morley, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing some stuff in the media, we got the Great Cup here, or he wanted me to do a player diary, I think, for a Great Cup week. And um, I guess we didn't make the great if we had made the Great Cup, and we didn't make the Great Cup. So he's like, um, he made, gave me open invitation to join him uh, during the Great Cup coverage, and I was like, of course. So I went back to Toronto after this season, and I was like, I, I have to take this opportunity because you know this is you know it's not every every year that the Great Cup is in your city, and you know you get access you know to guys. You know, with with you know Chad, of course. So I I thought it was an excellent opportunity to you know start doing something that I love to do, and you know they they showed me around pretty well. So you but you had an interest in maybe doing something radio, television, analyst work e- even before that yeah. week then. Yeah, of course, of course, and I just didn't know where to start, right? And you know I'd start talking to more than Dave um, when I was on the team, and you know I, I you know got a 
little bit of a relationship with them. So I started, I started, I started where do I start thinking like no better place to start it with them. So I, I, I set out some feelers and they, uh, they, they applied. All right. Well, I, that was, uh, that was fun. You and I got to talk a couple of times that week as well yeah. and you did a great job. And of course you kept playing for a couple of years after that. And now you actually are a radio guy. <laughs> Not just trying it out for a week or two. You're you're doing it. You've been named the color analyst for Argos football on TSN 1050 in Toronto. First of all, congratulations. Uh, tell us about landing this gig. Thank you so much. And uh, it's almost kind of a dream come true because you know before coming out to play for Edmonton and you know falling in love with the uh, Elks, um, you know the Argos obviously one of my favorite childhood favorite team, right? And you know used to so during the week. Uh, my my dad would never let me watch TV during the week, only on weekends. So I'd listen to the games on on the radio. So you know, it was kind of a cool full circle moment for me to you know land that gig and and um, and be able to cover the team uh, from the radio side and you know start my media career. And it's it's been a blast so far. Honestly, going into the game, it, it had all the game day feels of you know, okay, this it feels like a holiday big game. Uh, right, and then you know you go in, you pull up, and and then 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 you realize, okay, I don't have to get changed. <laughs> like I'm here, I'm gonna wear the same clothes, you know, probably the the whole game, and 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 not get hit. And that was like the biggest uh, thing. I was like, okay, it feels so great, but I don't have any of the kind of the performance anxiety thoughts. You know, like you always want to do well, and you know you're anxious. I didn't have any of the the the, the almost negative game day feelings. It was all positive. It was it was a blast, and. It was really, really fun, and I was like, at the end of the day, I was like, man, I can't believe they're paying me to do this. Like, I would do this for free. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is that is an awesome feeling for sure, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I know what you mean. It's 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 a great job. It's it's a great life. It's a privilege to do it for sure. Um, the, you mentioned though, you know, you don't get hit. What's the hardest you ever got hit in your football career? Is there one that stands out, or maybe you can't remember it if you got hit that hard? <laughs> you no, know, I've gotten hit uh, hard a few times. I remember one specifically was uh, against Hamilton, and it, it was and it was kind of blurred out from the TV view because a couple guys had hit me, but Simone Lawrence, and it was it was not only that he hit me. He was doing some extra stuff after the play, and it was like I just added insult to injury. Like so, he hits me, and I'm like kind of winded, and I'm like trying to trying to act like I'm not hurt, but I was, like, feeling every bit of it, trying to breathe. I was like, you know, I don't know if like, he hit me and I landed on the ball, too. And it's just remember not being able to breathe, and but also trying to act like it didn't hurt, right? Because if you do any – if you act like hey, you're, you're hurt around Simone, he'll, like, not stop talking for the entire game. So I was like, okay, I need to play this off. Okay, then I looked to the sideline, and it was a, a, a formation that I wasn't in on. I'm like, oh, perfect. Let me get off this field, and I can lay down once I get off. So that's uh, – I remember it, uh, it was, I think, 2019, my last season against against uh, Hamilton. But thankfully, I was fine. It was more the wind got knocked out of me, but, like, man, I felt like my visor was, like, crooked. My face mask was, like, you know, all bent out of shape. I just remember that. And also to add insult to injury, Simone was doing extra stuff <laughs> while I was hurt. So, yeah, I, Simone Lawrence, man, I told the guys, look out for him. <laughs> okay, so can you – this is this might sound a little mean-spirited of me, but is it is it hard for a football player to watch soccer, European football? Like, I watched quite a bit of Euro – and I'm yeah. sure getting tripped or getting kicked on the shin hurts. Um, I wonder if it hurts where you have to roll around on the grass for two <laughs> minutes before you get up. Like, can you watch 
another sport and think, come on, like, do you think, come on, like, how bad can it be? Or do you have sympathy for anybody who takes contact? The thing is, I played soccer as a kid because my dad grew up in England a bit, and so we were a huge soccer fan. So soccer was almost like my first love. So I understand, you know, why they do that. They, they're embellishing to you know, try to draw a call because one call in soccer could change the whole game. The one set piece could, you know, change the because you know one goal you could win the game. So all those calls and it's, it's just the culture uh, of soccer, right? It's, it's what you know you're kind of coached to do. If you get you know nicked on the on the shin guard, go down and and get us a, a set piece, especially if you're close to the box. Um, if you know you get nicked and they got an advantage the other way, go down so you stop their momentum. The referee has to blow the whistle. So it's part of the game. Um, so I understand it, but watching it, it's 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 so frustrating, especially being a football player because. You know, guys in football will will get hit and act like nothing happened, right? And it's just a different culture where you know, football you have to play through injuries. You have to, you know, you have to almost act like you know you're never injured because the your the defense or the opponents will will small fear, and you never want that situation. But soccer is just completely different. But I have respect for soccer because playing soccer to be able to run for 90 minutes straight. You know, sprinting, jogging, walking, all that. It's not easy. You have to be, those are some of the most conditioned athletes in the world. So it is a different game. I understand it, but it, it is still frustrating sometimes. Okay, so you kind of make a, a, a culture reference, right? That in one, one sport it might be more acceptable or be used strategically yeah. perhaps in soccer where it wouldn't be in football. But would there be instances in football where... Okay, so say you know your offense, you started on your ten, and now you've gone seventy. You've gone seven plays, and you're down inside the other team's red zone. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you ever think is that DB really cramping up, or is he trying to slow us down and take it out of our rhythm a little bit? Would, would stuff like that ever happen in football? Oh, all the time, especially like hot games where you know. I remember this in college. You know, our coaches. You know, when if. If another team is driving and you know you're, you you kind of need a break and you got no time left or something, coach is like, hey, just go down, well, well, just go down, act like you're cramping, get us an extra timeout. That stuff comes into play a lot um, in in football, and you see it like you everybody can see it. It's like okay, how are you injured? And then you know three plays later when you can come back in the game, you're full go, right? It's all strategic. You know we've seen um, they 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 will hate me saying this, but the Patriots have done that a lot. You know try to bend the rules you know they're not losing a lot but you know you can see them doing that um especially in, in hot games where you know teams are getting worked a little bit and they need a bit of a breather or you know they have no timeouts in certain situations you'll see that a lot in the nfl yeah i i, I remember yeah and i i remember there was one year i i can't remember who it was but it was it was on edmonton and on every extra point, one of the old linemen would stay down. Like, almost just to buy the defense and the special teams a little bit of time. I'd be like, how is this guy cramping? Like, And this was, you know, I think it was the Ricky Ray era where they would get three, four, five touchdowns a game. And I'm like, how is this guy cramping every time he has to block on an extra point? Like, something was going on there. It's funny, you know, you say that. I remember, and Mondo, you guys, me and Mondo Sewell, but he's one of the toughest players I ever played with, right? And there was, like, one season, I remember, like, more than a few times, he'd just go down Mondo. And I know he wasn't hurt, and I think everybody knew he wasn't hurt, but maybe he just needed a breather because he'd come back like a wrecking ball and, you know, give the, the, the offensive line, you know, 
like uh, all the fury. So you know, every time I'm like, like Mondo's down again. Like I just remember it clicking in my head, and but I'm like, he's obviously gonna get up, and he's obviously gonna you know keep playing at a high level. But I just, I just remember that you know while you're on this topic. Natea J joining us on Inside Sports, played for the Double uh, E, played for the uh, Argos. He's now an Argos uh, analyst joining their radio crew for this season. So you thought you had a game on Thursday. Now you don't. Uh, what have the Argos been doing? Did they keep the practice schedule as as planned? Have they adjusted? What's been going on there? Yeah, it's almost been, this week has always been a, a mini bye week, impromptu bye week. Coach uh, Dan has given the guys, you know, the, almost a week off until we get more clarity. Um, because at the very least, there won't be a game this week, and they're talking about possibly possibly having a game on Monday or Tuesday. But that seems unlikely if there's you know nine, ten, eleven guys you know on, on the COVID list for for Edmonton. Because you know usually when guys get COVID, it's been like you saw with Brian Walker on you know, two games, right? Quaku, uh, you're probably going to miss two games, right? So. That's been kind of the norm when guys have COVID is they'll miss two games. And it seems unlikely that if, you know, nine guys are, you know, they won't be back by next, you know, Monday or Tuesday. So we're looking at probably uh, October, late October, to reschedule this game and it'll probably be in Edmonton. So Argos have been, you know, hanging out, resting injuries and, you know, meeting meeting all um, uh, briefly and then having no practices so far. Yeah, well, I, I'm with you. I don't think it's going to be played before Labor Day. I think it's either rescheduled or it's going to be a forfeited win for for the Argos. And, I, and I'm sure they'd sooner win on the field and all that kind of stuff. But if it's going to be a forfeit, you'd sooner be the team not forfeit, not forfeiting. Right. Uh, what? Like, no pay. With no pay, which is, which hurts because it's already a shortened season and guys had to take pay cuts. You know, 14 game season, right? So every forfeited game with no pay hurts that much more yeah that, that's right and, and in this situation the Elks would not would not get paid but the Argos would if if the game isn't played because the Elks would be uh, to blame for not being played so like as as a former player I'll put you on the spot here a little bit and I know you you know you, you played here and know some of these guys but is this do you look at this and say this was preventable or it's it was bound to happen to some team and it just happened to the to the Elks or, or, or are you frustrated or are you just shrugging your shoulders a little bit? I'm just wondering how you how you read this. It's tough um, to really comment on it because I know a lot of the guys and I've talked to a lot of guys. Um, so it's really tough to comment on because it, it's that's a situation in the CFL where if you don't have uh, 85% vaccination, which you know a couple of teams have now, this is probably the situation you're going to get into because one guy getting COVID could spread like wildfire, like we're seeing with the with, with the Elks, right? So it's a tough situation. I'm just if I was on the team and I was a guy that was vaccinated, I'd be really upset because they're hurting my my earning potential for this season. Um, but at the same time, I understand that people have the, you know, the decision to make whatever choice they want. I mean, that's right. No one's being forced to get the vaccine. But so, but if I'm a guy that's unvaccinated, I have to shrug my shoulders and say, you know, this is what we signed up for. I'm just, you know, need to follow the protocols. But it's just tough, right? It's tough, and you know, as a fan, you know, there's a lot of fans that are vaccinated that you know have done everything they they possibly could to keep themselves and their loved ones safe. And to watch, you know, I guess it, it's probably tough to watch guys, you know, not take it as serious as they have been. Um, 
but you know it's 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 a tough situation all around because right now it's you know guys are, are that are vaccinated it's such a divisive thing right now you know you, you know uh pro-vax versus uh anti-vax so i don't know the guys are in tough spots but i do i have talked to a couple guys that aren't vaccinated and i asked them why aren't you vaccinated and the guys I've talked to, I don't have no one has given me one good reason why they're not. Um, so it's it's a hopefully sooner or later guys realize this is serious and, and they get vaccinated and and so we can we can play football like we want to. We missed a whole year of, of, of CFL action, right? And you know, if that wasn't tough enough, well why would you risk it? And I understand when guys have uh, medical reason not to get vaccinated and no, you know what I mean I understand that but if you have no good reason to get vaccinated I don't understand but obviously if you're not you have a good reason I hope Mate, I appreciate that perspective I always appreciate your ability to come on here and, and tell a few stories it's it's really been fun for me getting to know you over the last few seasons and I'm glad to see that you are now actually uh, working in radio and not just being paid at the buffet table all the best this season <laughs> Thanks so much, Reed. It's always fun to, to join you, and uh, anytime you need some perspective, I'm, I'm your guy, man. It's, it's been fun to get to know you, and uh, thanks so much for having me on. Right on. That is Natea J, former CFL receiver, of course, played right here in Edmonton, now doing some Argos analysis for TSN 1050. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Good to have you tuning in tonight. I was uh, off last week. Got in a round of golf at uh, Sturgeon Valley by St. Albert. I'd never played there before. Very impressed with that course. I actually played uh, half decent for my paltry level of ability, Sturgeon Valley. Also went out to Trestle Creek and played around. When was that? That was last, uh, last Wednesday. I, I had played Trestle Creek a few years ago. It's out uh, t- towards the old hometown. Uh, out by Evansburg and Entwistle. I grew up just north of Evansburg. Uh, but yeah, Sturgeon Valley and Trestle Creek. A couple courses I got out to last week. Golf this morning at uh, Red Tail Landing. Did not play well. I am indeed terrible. Uh, also, uh, Kellen, also some exciting news today. Mm-hmm. Here's something you can have a chuckle at. I, I picked up my new pair of bifocals today. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yes. Uh, as, uh, here's the thing. Most of you, obviously, uh, you you hear me. You do not see me, thankfully for you. Uh, one thing that uh, many people say to me when they meet, meet me or, or shortly after meeting me is, uh, my God, why are your glasses so thick? <laughs> and the answer is I have terrible eyesight and need corrective lenses that are very thick. And uh, I guess in the spring of 2019... At the uh, ripe old age of 45, I uh, was put into bifocals for the first time, and now those have had to be updated. So a little bit of getting used to, but uh, I think I'm doing okay. But uh, yes, it's like when people ask me that, I I feel like saying, look, I didn't choose to get the thickest glasses possible. It's not like, hey, man, you have a mild prescription. And I said, no, 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 no. I want the thick lenses. I want the thickest. No, I, I need them to see. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I do get asked that. Why, 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 
What's with the thick glasses? I can't see anything. <laughs> it's it's not complicated. Anyway, I like these glasses. They're good. So far, so good. I want to talk a little bit about forfeited games. And, oh, uh, we'll meet Jeff Tobert, new head coach of the Edmonton Huskies, all coming up. Well, thank you very much for tuning into the show. I'm sitting in my basement. Shout out to everybody in their basement tonight. It's probably just me, to be honest. Like, how many people are in their basements by themselves at 7.35 p.m.? Well, maybe more than I care to know. I don't know. Uh, my name is Reed Wilkins. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Elks Radio 630 Chet. Our next Elks broadcast at the moment is Labor Day Monday. Maybe there's going to be one before then. I'm kind of doubtful. We were supposed to have one Thursday. That game postponed. Elks positive COVID cases now up to 11. All of them players, uh, the majority of them unvaccinated. Randy Ambrosi didn't break down the numbers further than that. And as you heard in the news, OEG announcing a vaccination policy for the upcoming Oilers season. You can get the details on both those stories on 630ched.com, globalnews.ca. If there is a forfeited game in the CFL, and uh, that that could hit the Elks in, in this scenario, it would be recorded as a as a one nothing win for the Toronto Argos. One nothing would be the final score, and uh, that just struck me as how how do they come up with that? Why one like why not award the winning team a touchdown and just say okay, well you you, you kicked off and the other team wasn't there, so it was an onside kick. So you just picked it up and ran it in, and the game ended six. I I don't know. The the uh, the I so I looked up some forfeited scores. Kellen, have you have you ever looked this up? This is totally random stuff. I started looking. Never, no. This, this, you you have peaked my interest. In, <laughs> the scores in forfeited games. Okay. So in football, in the uh, Canadian Football League, high school football in the NCAA, is uh, that it is one nothing. Mm-hmm. The score would be recorded as one nothing. The National Football League, the uh, score would be 2 nothing. So now, this is if a game is forfeited before it's played or if the score is forfeited while the game is in progress by the winning team. Like if for some reason Cincinnati's beaten Cleveland 35 nothing halfway through the third quarter and then it's like our moms are calling us home from dinner for dinner we can't finish the game we got to go do our paper route and we, we can't finish the game mm. so in that case they'd say okay uh it's now two nothing uh, cleveland if if the losing team forfeited the game in the nfl while it was in progress then they would just go with the score at the time but otherwise it's two nothing in the nfl one nothing in high school football the ncaa and the cfl i i'm not really sure how they came up with that uh, other you know, leagues possibly of interest, the National – well, I know the National Hockey League of interest. I'm not sure if forfeited scores are, are, are of interest. In the NHL – now, I always thought that a forfeited hockey game 
was uh, was five nothing. The, the, for, I, and I don't know why I thought this, that maybe this was the rule at some point, or maybe I, I, I played in some minor hockey game as a, as a kid that was forfeited. But, but I thought it was, I thought a forfeited hockey game was five, nothing that the team who played the game or was ready to play the game would still fill out their lineup card and identify the starters and that each starter would be credited with a goal and the game would be five, nothing for that team. That is totally incorrect. So I don't know where I came up with that. The fake news part of my brain came up with that. So if the game is forfeited in, a, in the NHL, it is one nothing. It goes down to a, a one nothing victory. Nobody gets credit for the goal. It just counts as a team goal, kind of like a shootout goal. Nobody actually gets credit for the goal, but it goes into the team's goal uh, goal four column, goals four column. So it's one nothing in the National Hockey League. It's not five nothing or even six nothing. I guess they could give the goalie a goal since he starts the game as well. So one nothing in hockey. Uh, Major League Baseball is, uh, I think, all baseball is nine nothing. Nine nothing in baseball. I guess they just give every player who started the game a run. Now basketball has a couple of different things. In FIBA, international basketball, a forfeited game is 20 nothing. They, they put it in as, uh, as 20 nothing. And uh, in the NBA, and I believe also in the, uh, well, no, I should, I should clarify that. In the NCAA, and I, I believe the NBA is not actually clear. Let's face it, there, there aren't a lot of forfeited games in major pro sports. Uh, an NCAA basketball game is 2 nothing, And uh, the NBA, I, I'm not actually sure. And I wasn't able to find out. So there you go. And I, I mean, hey, I didn't spend hours pouring into this. But there's, uh, there's some forfeited game trivia. Kellen Kennedy. Now, do we have a forfeiture procedure in the Sylvan Lake Alliance of Wrestling, the SLAW? What if a wrestler doesn't show up for a match? Is that called a walkover? Is that when you win in a walkover? Uh, no, the uh, the storyline way in, in wrestling is typically the ref would just uh, stand in the middle of the ring and count to 10, and, and the wrestler that does show up would get it, what they call a count-out victory. And that's the, that's, that's the closest to forfeiture in pro wrestling, I guess, so... Uh, I just looked up wrestling forfeit, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a story from Cincinnati in March. A high school senior forfeited his wrestling match rather than face the competition mm -hmm. because he was going to wrestle against his younger brother. So the older brother forfeited the, uh, and this is obviously wrestling wrestling not yeah olympic WWE wrestling, wrestling. Olympic wrestling. Yeah, this yeah. is yeah this is competitive wrestling mm -hmm. not showbiz wrestling so the older brother forfeited the wrestling match to his uh younger brother apparently mm. uh they're both very good they they knew they might be up against each other in the finals and they had agreed ahead of time that they uh would not wrestle each other Uh, and then it, originally the younger brother was going to forfeit the match, but then the big brother said, uh, no, I can't let him do this. So, uh, he let the, uh, the younger brother go through, uh,
totally unrelated to really anything. But <laughs> still nice. That's, Inter- that's cool. Interesting I like that. Side. Is, is that a nice story? I guess it's I guess it's a nice story. Mm-hmm. Apparently the older brother was the higher seed in the wrestling tournament. Yeah. So he would have had a better chance to to proceed and win more championships. But I guess he decided, well, that's the, that's the way he's going to go. Why well, not? the Sylvan Lake. So now we have another goal for ourselves, Kellen. Okay. Just add to the mini we have to work. We have to come up with a forfeiture procedure for the uh, Sylvan Lake Alliance of Wrestling. Well, I was just going to get Cam Moon to stand in the middle of the ring and count to 10 in, like, his biggest announcer <laughs> yeah. voice. Moon, Mooner's going to count. Uh, Mooner looks like he could be a wrestling uh, official. He looks yeah. like he could, be, he could be a wrestling referee. He, he'd be a perfect ring announcer for wrestling. Oh, yeah, like, that's perfect. Cam Moon is there. We've hired somebody else. We got Roadhammer is our heavyweight champion. Mm. And uh, Cam Moon is now our uh, ring announcer for the slaw. I know mm-hmm. Cam is going to accept that job. Hey, we want to update what's going on with the Prairie Football Conference. The Edmonton Wildcats won their opening game on the weekend. The Edmonton Huskies lost a heartbreaker. It was a crazy final play. Their head coach will break down what happened when we get back. Edmonton showdown in the Prairie Football Conference coming up Saturday night at 7. It's going to be the 1-0 Wildcats up against the 0-1 Huskies. The Huskies oh so close to starting the season with a victory, but it didn't quite go their way for details. It is the new head coach of the Huskies, Jeff Tobert. Jeff, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Reed. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for hopping on the show. Of course, this is your first appearance on this program as the as the head coach of the Huskies. We used to have Ian on several times throughout the course of a season. And I, I, I want to talk about your journey to becoming the head coach of, of the team. But I think I'm going to start with the end of the game from a few days ago. And I know that's not always fair because there's about 150 plays before we get to the end of the game. But can you describe to everybody how your game against the Hilltops uh, ended on the weekend? Uh, well, the very ending of it was we uh, we had an opportunity to close out the game and then uh, we punted the ball back to them and then they uh, had a big reception that got them down uh, fairly close into our end with about uh, 20 seconds left. And they, uh, rather than going for a field goal, they decided they were going to punt the ball through the end zone for, uh, for a rouge. And uh, we... Um, managed to uh, field the punt, uh, kick it back out, but then we were called for no yards when we were going to tackle the guy who was about to try and kick it back in. So um, it was one of those crazy finishes in Canadian football that you only get in Canadian football. And um, uh, when we got called for no yards, uh, put them closer to the goal line and they were able to punt it through the second time. So okay, a single. And then a, like, I guess a bit of a helpless field because a feeling because if they're close enough, the punter just has to get some height on it and it flies out the back well uh we uh we we actually had a chance they they bobbled the snap on uh, on the second one and uh we weren't we weren't able to get to him but uh yeah and then he uh he kicked it and our uh our return man almost was able to field it just by dragging his toes but uh he wound up falling out of bounds but uh it was an exciting game it's always going to be an exciting game when you play the hilltops they uh they come to play. They're uh, they're great at what they do. Obviously, they're uh, you know six-time national champions. And uh, if you're 
you're going to beat them, you've got to be, uh, got to be perfect almost. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, thanks for, I know it didn't go your way, but thanks for sharing what would have been a, uh, a crazy ending for, for anybody viewing the game. And I'm sure that's what people hearing about it now are, are thinking about. So I'm sure some of those close ones are going to go your way here down the road. So, uh, you know, I, you, you were on, you, you were on Ian's staff, uh, you know, Ian, well, you, you have a long affiliation with the Huskies. Just tell us about becoming the head coach and, and, and having that title for a, a team that's been so important to you throughout your life. Well, you're right. It has been very important to me throughout my life. I um, I was uh, fresh out of college. I joined uh, Edmonton Huskies in uh, 1991 for the very first time. Uh, coached for two years uh, with Brent Pope on his staff and uh, a few of my other uh, college teammates, and uh, learned you know very very quickly that uh, you know this is an organization that is very passionate about football and um you know very passionate about helping develop young men and uh it was uh, a great stint but then um my career being a teacher uh, i got naturally pulled into coaching high school football and i i spent uh, quite a few years coaching at uh, a variety of different high schools i uh, went over with uh, john belmont and uh, coached at jasper place uh, from there, I went and uh, uh, I moved schools uh, to a school in the in the North End. So I uh, sought a high school that was a little bit closer. So I went and coached with Bo Jereniak, uh, Don Guy over at uh, Emil Azert. And then um, I moved schools again. I went to Ross Shepherd and I, I coached there for a good, uh, good number of years, something like 18 years, um, on uh, Brian Bashinsky's staff uh, there. And uh, then I, I got the... I got the invite and I got the urge to go and, and coach at uh, the junior level again. Um, and so uh, naturally it was a good fit to go back to the Huskies and uh, Ian took a, took a chance on me and uh, brought me in and uh, made me his linebacker coach. And I uh, worked with Sammy Ockpro uh, and uh, under him as the defensive coordinator. And then from there, uh, Sammy took a job at uh, York University uh, and uh, Ian asked me if I would like to be the defensive coordinator, and I said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it uh, would be fantastic, and so I kind of dipped my toe into that, and, um, and from there, um, you know, we were we've been decently successful uh, from there, and then and Ian uh, told me he was uh, going to pursue a career in uh, Halifax or a job opportunity in Halifax that uh, was, you know, just irresistible, um, and then he asked if, if I would be the head coach and, uh, you know, the board followed suit and, and then I, I absolutely agreed. I, uh, you know, I really like this organization. I like the people that are in the organization and, uh, you know, very strong, strong people, strong, uh, you know, uh, passion towards, uh, developing young men and, and, uh, helping them achieve their goals, both, uh, scholastically, uh, in their careers and in obviously on football. Well, and I'm glad you brought up that last point because it is an interesting sort of time in the lives of of your players. Some of them, you know, might wind up playing in the Canadian Football League. Um, some of them, um, this might be the last football team they're ever on, right? Depending on uh, on their aspirations or, or or their talent level, but you, you get that. Uh, uh, I mean, it's your job to bring them all together and get that commitment out of everybody. Yeah, for sure. We've we've been uh, fortunate to have some outstanding players uh, come through of late uh, that have have gotten uh, professional careers out of the deal. Um, 
I didn't coach him directly, but uh, Theron Churchill, uh, draft pick of the Toronto Argonauts and uh, made their team. Uh, Shaden Phillip uh, is in uh, Edmonton now uh, on the practice roster. And then uh, we also had O'Shane Samuels, who uh, is uh, playing for the BC Lions. So, um, you know, it's we've been pretty, pretty fortunate and pretty uh, uh, successful at developing guys all the way to the top level. Uh, we've had many other guys go on to uh, U sports careers as well. Um, Jason Brown comes to mind, uh, Brad Lonart, um, and a, a whole bunch of other guys that I, I'm probably <laughs> selling a bit short on, but I, uh, I'm, I'm getting old, you know, I, I don't remember. Everybody. No, I know, but I know there's a lot but of I, guys. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a great program and, and we got a great rivalry coming up this weekend. It's, there's always a, uh, some fun and some hype around the all Edmonton matchup, uh, as you get to take on, uh, get to take on the Wildcats who were able to win their first game, uh, or, over the weekend, um, to tell us what, what to expect here. <laughs> Well, I did expect a barn burner. Um, the Wildcats are a fine team, and right now they're one and zero, and we're zero and one. So uh, they're ahead of us, and we want to want to catch back up, want to make it even. Yeah, and tell us a little bit about the situation. Uh, where are you playing your home games this year? We're playing our home games this year at uh, Jasper Place Bowl. It's been uh, newly refurbished. Uh, beautiful new facility that we have there. Um, it, uh, you know, our, we played our first game in there with the Saskatoon game, and. You know, other than the weather being lousy, it was uh, an unbelievable experience to be at that facility. Um, it's uh, really well situated, and I, uh, I hope to be there for many years. Right on. Okay. Well, Jeff, we'll talk to you down the road, and uh, hopefully we'll feature some of your players throughout the season as well. Thanks for sharing the, the details of a, of a tough loss. I look forward to the, to the Edmonton Bowl, I guess, part one of two, coming up <laughs> this weekend. All the best. Yeah, absolutely. Go dogs. That is Jeff Tobert, head coach of the Edmonton Huskies. We'll have somebody on from the uh, Wildcats before the end of the week as those two teams are going to meet 7 o'clock at the JP Bowl Saturday night. Okay, now we are at the end of yet another show. How did that happen? You heard from Doug Brown and Atea Jay as well as Jeff Tobert tonight. He is the uh, brother of former double E football team, Mark Tobert, by the way. We'll have to try to get Mark on the show at some point. Back with you tomorrow from 6 to 8. Dave Campbell's the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator this evening. Hope you don't have to forfeit a game or anything tonight. Take care, everybody. My name's Reed. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.